to the passage that we read together in John chapter 1. And keep it open if you can. We can connect like never before. We can speak to or, or follow or watch people all over the world in a manner that previous generations couldn't even dream of. Yet, studies show that we are feeling more disconnected than ever. For all our efforts at connection and connecting with the world on a global scale, we still feel it. We still feel this sense of isolation. We still feel this sense of yearning. Why? I think we need to remember the real heart of the problem. And that is our disconnection from our Creator. As people have called it, it is that God-shaped hole in all of us that we try and fill with so many other things and so many other people. Even good things. But without that connection... We're still missing out. The big picture here in, in John chapter 1, it has an introduction. The first 18 verses. And here we learn that this person, Jesus, is God. And that this Jesus took on flesh and he stepped into the world. He came into the world as God and man. Because God is making himself known and knowable. And the writer, John, wants us to believe in this Jesus. Because in knowing him, there is true life. The rest of the chapter takes that theme of Here is the knowable God and asks you and asks me to come and know this knowable God. That's our big picture for what's happening in this story, in this invitation to this skeptic. So we're going to meet a few different people in our passage this evening. And the first guy we meet is this Nathaniel, the skeptic. Now, you may have a lot in common with this guy. For some, well, sharing the gospel can be met with skepticism. And you know, it should never take us off guard. It should never surprise us that people have daunting questions. I mean, the gospel impacts every part of our lives. The story is so big, it touches upon every area of life. Every part of the universe is touched by the gospel. Even eternity itself. Which means that some parts can be quite difficult for any one of us to understand. Or maybe the problem is that the Christian faith is being lived out by imperfect and often contradictory people. I wouldn't be surprised if 
you were here today, if you were here tonight with a big question. I'm so glad you are here. And please feel free to ask these questions after our service this evening. Please feel free to stay behind and to discuss them with someone here whose face seems friendly enough to trust or come and ask me. Not in a call and response right now, but afterwards, please. Because if the gospel is true, then we believe it holds up to scrutiny and to investigation. But Nathaniel's doubt, this skeptic here, it revolves around Jesus' hometown. So, here you've got Philip. Philip goes running up to him and says, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about. This guy that we've been waiting for. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That's who he is. We found him. And Nathaniel's first question is, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Maybe his skepticism was a cultural skepticism. I mean, Nazareth was a nothing place. It was a backwater town. How could the saviour of the world be found in such an insignificant place? Do you expect me to think that my heart's deepest desire, 2,000 years later for us, but for Nathaniel in this moment to say, do you expect me to think that my heart's and my nation's deepest desire comes from such an unimpressive place? Here is Jerusalem. Why isn't he a big, powerful king from Jerusalem? Or maybe it's because he could see a contradiction. There is a contradiction here. Philip claimed that he's found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. But he calls this person Jesus of Nazareth. Now Nathaniel, as a good Israelite, would have known the Old Testament pretty well. And it says there that the Savior would come from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. Now, while those of us who may be familiar with the Christmas story can understand how Jesus was both from Bethlehem and of Nazareth, in the sense that he was born in one and then raised in the other, raised in Nazareth, Philip had no idea. Philip was a brand new Christian. He hadn't thought through all the questions yet for himself. I mean, as an aside, sometimes the questions we get are things that we personally haven't yet previously considered. It's worth noting that people who are skeptical can often enter into discussions with different experiences, different motivations and intentions, and Sometimes very different wounds. You take the question of suffering. Someone might be asking it from a position of an intellectual objection to suffering. Others might be asking it because they have suffered. Two 
very different reasons, but the same question. Which means to truly address people's questions, we must truly hear their question. We should listen to people with the goal of understanding, not just the goal of responding. We need to have love as well as learning. We need to have empathy as well as answers. And sometimes a great answer is, I don't know. Let us find out together. Because like Philip, we don't always know. So Nathaniel here is skeptical. He sees a problem. He doesn't understand it. And he's well within his rights to be skeptical. But he's not the only person in our story this evening. Let's meet Philip the connector. He connects people together. Now, with Philip, I mean, there can be a style of evangelism, which is to spread the good news of Jesus. Because often, unfortunate, it might look a little bit like this. You, you might uh, create a presentation of what you know, maybe a list of verses or you memorize a quote from some famous person or, or writer. And you grab someone and you unload that presentation. You unload what you know onto them. And you run off. This style can often feel like you're ramming it down people's throats. That was, that's what people have said before. And it's the kind of thing that easily happens online. Maybe we post something or maybe we hijack someone else's Facebook post and we let rip some gospel truth, some verse or quote and we wipe our hands and we go, I've done my part. Now it's up to that person either to believe or they're going to hell. I'm not saying you can't argue Jesus and about Jesus online. Or present someone randomly the gospel truth in real life. Of course you can. Sometimes you can have really good back and forths in an online discussion. The gospel is true and it is logical and it is meant to be argued and persuasive. But our hearts are not just changed simply by arguments. And simply by unloading things onto other people. They're people. And sharing Jesus with other people is more than just the spreading of facts and verses and statements. So here we get Philip. Philip didn't just unload a certain amount of information. Although he does a bit, there always needs to be some information, some knowledge, some backing up of who he's talking about. At this stage, Philip might not know a lot. Philip doesn't have all the answers. But that's okay. He gives Nathaniel something better. He gives him an invitation. Look at that in verse 46 and 47. Nathaniel said to Philip, Can anything good come of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see, 
personally. Come and see relationally. Nathaniel wanted to stand in judgment over this Jesus, evaluating this fact or that fact. But even if Philip had been able to answer all of Nathaniel's questions point for point, Nathaniel needs and needed more than points. He needed a person, whether he knew it or not. Remember, Philip only started following Jesus two verses before this. He doesn't know that much, but he does know Jesus. The Christians should be able to find themselves able to say things like, I have found Christ. He has changed me. Come with me to see this Jesus. We are beggars telling our beggars where the bread is. Come with me. We can't stress enough how becoming a Christian, identifying with Jesus and actually being saved by what he has done on the cross to pay for our sins, isn't just agreeing to certain ideas and statements. It's not about simply how much you know. It's about who you know. Our hearts are actually changed when God intervenes and we meet Jesus. You know, sometimes Christians stand vulnerable with Philip. Proclaiming a message that feels so small and insignificant. When it's a message that is so large, so amazing, so important. And yet in the moment it feels so small. It feels so weak. Nathaniel just wasn't impressed by this Nazareth place. But look at the cross. It is in its very Essence, a symbol of weakness, of torture, of mockery. And yet through this symbol of weakness, torture and mockery, through the cross, our sin and our debt is paid for fully. All that disconnection, the gap, that infinite gap between us and the very source of life, God... Well, Jesus dies to take away the eternal death that each one of us deserve. And while the gospel is so vast and cosmic, Christ redeeming all of creation, and he will, as this creation groans, he will renew it. How the promise of how Christ is going to fulfill his cosmic redemption, how that's going to be done is in ways that feel quite humble. It's going to be done through preaching. It's going to be done through singing. It's going to be done through 
gathering and meeting. It's going to be done through praying. It's going to be done through the big and the small acts of mercy and love and grace. It's going to be done through giving. It's going to be done through serving. It's going to be done through things other people very often will never see. But God uses the weak and the foolish things of this world because He is strong and mighty. We may feel very weak and foolish standing in a world that mocks God, mocks Christ in a culture that just is so apathetic. It doesn't care. He can use any one of us. No matter how weak we feel. Because we're beggars telling other beggars I know where the bread is. So Nathaniel the skeptic goes along with Philip the connector. Why? I mean, the very next verse, verse 47, says Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. He's gone with Philip. Philip has said, come and see. Why has he gone with Philip? Why go with a Christian? Well, I think it's because he could see how much it meant to Philip. I think he could see the difference it had made to Philip having met this Jesus. If our friends, if our families, if our co-workers saw that Jesus matters to us only one day a week, then why would they come with us? Why would you come here if God means so little to us. If this person means so little to us. But even though Nathaniel was skeptical, he went with Philip anyway. I think because he could see the difference. He could see how much it meant. He could see that meeting this Jesus had changed the entirety of Philip's life. And so on they go to meet the third and most important person in this section. Jesus. Jesus uh, now takes center stage. 47 onwards, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel replies, what? And he says, I saw you before Philip called you. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. As Nathaniel approaches, Jesus doesn't immediately offer answers. Though no doubt he could probably see the questions in Nathaniel's face. Instead, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, maybe Nathaniel had been under a fig tree that very morning when Philip had come running up to him. Maybe he used to pray under a fig tree as a child. But in any case, Nathaniel's doubts turn to awe. Jesus knows him already. Jesus already knew him through and through. Jesus already knew who he was. 
what he had done, what he was like. Nathaniel thought he would believe only if he could know. But he began to believe once he realized he had already been known by this Jesus. That he was no ordinary man. That he knew things. That he was God. He came to see. But he left having been seen. He came to meet. But Jesus was meeting him. Who is this Christ? Who is this Jesus? Well, Nathaniel is convinced by Jesus' divine knowledge. And convinced, I'm sure, by Philip's enthusiastic witness. And he recognizes who this Jesus really is. He goes, verse 49, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. But see how Jesus responds to that. You're impressed by me knowing you. I'm going to do more than know you. You're going to see greater things. He says to him. So what does verse 51 mean? Verse 51. He said to him. Jesus says to Nathaniel. Truly, truly I say to you. You're going to see greater things. You will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Throughout the Old Testament, first half of the Bible, we find people celebrating whenever they found access into the very presence of God, where at least temporarily, This sense of disconnection that they had with their maker, with their creator, this sense of disconnection disappeared in the presence of God. They knew they were with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And one example of this happens in Genesis 28, when Jacob, this man Jacob, has a famous dream of a ladder Reaching into heaven. This ladder is so significant. Because in this dream, the ladder is connecting earth and heaven. Other way around. Earth and heaven. It represents entry into the presence of God. That human beings, that we're all yearning for. It represents a connection. It represents a relationship that nothing else, no other relationship can satisfy. And in that dream, on this ladder, Jacob sees angels ascending and descending this ladder. He was so amazed that he set up a pillar and he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. But now the disciples here in verse 51 are being told 
that they're going to see that reality for themselves. They're going to meet the person who is our connecting point to God. Instead of the angels ascending and descending on a stairway to heaven, they're going to ascend and descend on the Son of Man, on Jesus Christ. That's one of his titles. He's going to be the ladder. He is the point of connection. He is the bridge to God. He is the center and the source of God's puns and purposes for his special people. The point is, knowing Jesus is to know God. Not only does Jesus know Nathaniel already, but Nathaniel can know God because Jesus is God. My friends, not only does Jesus already know everything about you, you're not coming here this evening with any of your baggage hidden away from him. Nobody else here might, nobody else may know a thing. You might be hiding it from yourself. But God already knows what you've gone through, what you're going through, what your questions are, what you're struggling with, what your sins are, what your guilt looks like. Not only does he know everything about you, and not only are you already known, but he wants you to know him and to love him too because he first loves us. As we move into uh, uh, John chapter 2 and John chapter 3, we can see Jesus over these next couple of chapters saying, basically, that he is the house of God. He is the temple, he says in John chapter 4. That he is the way to heaven. And our response should be the same as Jacob's when we come into the presence of God. When we meet this Jesus for ourselves. When we come and see in God's word. When we come and call on this Jesus to save us, to help us, to take away our sin. And to give us a living relationship, a real fundamental relationship with him. When we call on Jesus to give us what we've been yearning for all our lives, or what we may already have, our response should be the same as Jacob's. How awesome. Not how awesome is this place, how awesome is this person. He is the one we've been looking for. Eventually, as he grew, I'm sure, to know Jesus more, Philip would be able to answer so many more questions posed by Nathaniel and by others. But I'm sure his invitation never changed. For all the answers that we have, for all the discussions that we have, for all the debates we can have over politics and over whatever it may be, the answer and the invitation remains the same. Come and see. Come and meet this Jesus who knows you already. 
Because the goal gospel isn't just spreading facts. It's the invitation to a relationship. It's the possibility of knowing and being known. It's the connection we all yearn for deep in our souls. It's an encounter with a living Christ. When you hear the invitation to come and see for yourself what this Jesus not only will do for you, what he has already done for you and has is offering you. When you come, will you come and see? Will you come and find your rest in him? Will you come? Amen. May the Lord bless to us these thoughts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that for those of us who are scared of sharing the gospel for how weak we feel and how we little we feel that we know and how ill-equipped we feel to answering hard questions, help us, Lord, to be able to tell others to come and meet Jesus, to come and see you. Lord, forgive us for our fears, but help us in our fear. Help us to be bold. Help us to go into our families, into our workplaces, into our communities, into our streets, and to be able to share with other people. Lord, give us that boldness, the drive, the love to share with others that we've met you. And you give us a peace that passes all understanding. You give us a joy that even when we are sad is a joy that goes deeper. And you give us a hope that even in our brokenness, even as we are dying, even if mental health issues are on our doorstep, Lord, we can trust that with you, our identity is secure and unbreakable. And Lord, those of us who don't yet know you, may we see you for ourselves. Lord, draw near to our hearts tonight. And meet us. Speak to us. May we know you. May we know your love. May we know your forgiveness. May we know your peace. May we know what it looks like to have a friend, a brother, a savior. Someone so intimately united to us so that in everything we are doing, Lord, we must do it for your glory. Because you are with us. You are strengthening us. You are helping us, Lord. May we give our lives over to this Jesus Christ. And we ask all of these things in the name of this Savior, Jesus. Amen.